This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. Our scripture reading tonight comes from John chapter 15. Gospel of John chapter 15, we will be looking at the first 11 verses. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inerrant and inspired word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Father, as we return to your word again this evening, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would prepare our hearts to receive it, that we would see the glorious truth contained in it, uh, that Christ is the true vine, the true giver of life, that we are his branches, and though he may prune us, though we may go through hardships, we know that it is ultimately that we may bear more fruit and further glorify your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you are in the business of growing things, and you have no need for me to explain anything of the sort to you. And if I tried, I would do a miserable job, and you would either be highly amused or shocked and horrified at how little I know about it. And yet, while I know very little about farming and gardening and all such related activities, I do know that we cannot force anything to grow. We can do certain labors to make the conditions better for growth. We can plant in the right kind of place. We could add water, add fertilizer, give whatever we planted a fighting chance at making it. Of course, I'm not good at this. I once had a cactus in a pot when I was a kid and I stuck it in my window in my bedroom and forgot about it long enough that it, remember it was a cactus, died from not getting enough water. 
But even if I had watered my cactus every six months to a year like it needed, I could not have made it grow or guaranteed that it would continue to grow. Whatever work we might do in plant cultivation, the ultimate growth and productivity is out of our hands. Now, as Christians, we know that growth is ultimately the work of our sovereign God in his hand of providence. He uses natural means, but ultimately he upholds and governs all things and makes them live and grow and do what they do. And this illustration of plant growth is a very good illustration of the spiritual life. So much so that Jesus himself frequently uses it. We saw this some weeks back when we looked at the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. And we see it tonight as we continue in Jesus' upper room discourse. Jesus makes another of his I am statements in John to illustrate his work in his people and in the world. It follows from what we saw last week where Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit as a helper and comforter for his people after his departure. So we will look at Jesus' teaching concerning himself as this true vine in three points tonight. First, we see pruning in verses 1 through 4. There are difficulties. There is a process of often painful a preparation for growth that comes. Then second, we see productivity in verses 5 through 8. God works in his people, prunes his people, does the other things that he does in his people, ultimately to bring growth. We see this again in verses 5 through 8. And then third, we see preservation in verses 9 through 11. Ultimately, it is God that gives life and keeps life and preserves the life of his people. In Christ. So pruning, productivity, and preservation are our three points for tonight. First, we look at pruning in verses 1 through 4. So Jesus opens this section by saying, I am the true vine. Now, when we talk about a vine here, we're not talking about just any old vine, like an ornamental vine that is a long stem with leaves and no particular usefulness or other purposes. This would be the kind of vine that grows grapes or that bears fruit or some kind of vegetable. It would be like a vine in a vineyard, a vine that is meant to produce a crop. When Jesus says that he is the vine, this means that Jesus is the source of all life and of all growth. All spiritual life and growth comes from and in and through him. There is no spiritual life apart from Christ. I've said it over and over again in John. There is no spiritual life apart from Jesus. There's no life in Judaism. There was only life in Judaism in the Old Covenant as its members partook of Christ by the types and shadows. There's no life in any other religion. There's no life by our works. We can't have life in ourselves any more than branches and leaves can live apart from their vine, their source. Last year, about the time we moved here, some of the trees out back were cut down, and they were all piled over on the east side of the parking lot until we could burn them this spring. When those trees and branches were cut down, they died. The crew didn't move those cut trees over there and they stood themselves up and started growing again. They had no roots. They had no source of life. They were dead. 
so too those who think that they have life apart from Christ are in fact dead, like a tree that's cut off from its trunk, a plant that's cut off from its vine or from its roots. They might think themselves alive. They could even for a time look alive. The leaves on those cut tree branches, they didn't turn brown and dry immediately. It took a couple weeks. But no Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no salvation. So Jesus is the vine, and he says that the Father is the vine dresser. The Father is the first person of the Trinity in priority, including as it pertains to the economy of redemption. While the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are united in their being and also united in their will and purpose, as it pertains to their economy, their actions, their work, the three persons have unique roles to play in our salvation. So, the Father, as it pertains to our salvation, it is His will and His decree, His initiative, that we would be saved. The Bible frequently attributes election to being the work of the Father. The Father chooses those whom He will save. The Son is the one who accomplishes redemption by His active and passive obedience that is his keeping of the law that fallen and sinful humans could not, as well as his suffering to pay the penalty for their sins. The Son provides life to those the Father has chosen. He purchases it. He accomplishes what is necessary for it. The Father has concern to give life to his people and makes provision for the Son to do the work, and then that work is applied and preserved to God's people by the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean when we get to verse 2? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So we see two kinds of branches. We see fruitful branches and unfruitful branches. And the unfruitful branches get removed. Those who belong to Christ, those who are truly and properly united to their source of life, will bear fruit in his name. The justified are sanctified. We are not saved by our works, but if we are saved, God works in us the will and the power to more and more put our sin to death and to do what is pleasing to him and to accomplish his purposes in the world. This is the point of verse 3. Jesus says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus' disciples are justified. They are saved by the effectual application of the gospel to them. But they are to abide in their source of life. They are to remain there. Now, given that we cannot save ourselves, we are dependent on God for our salvation and for our justification, we are also dependent on him for our sanctification and preservation. But in the latter, God renews our wills, uses our wills so that we truly desire to be his and to do what is pleasing to him. And we abide in him, we remain in him, because that is what he has worked in us to do. Now, we don't do this perfectly. We will always face sin and weakness and doubt in this life. But more and more, our inclination as we are sanctified is to this abiding We are caused to abide by our God, and we want to abide, and we do abide, as Jesus tells us to do. 
And if we abide in him, we bear fruit. This brings us to our next point. After the pruning, we come to productivity in verses 5 through 8. In verse 5, Jesus makes clear what is already implicit. He is the vine, and his disciples, his people, are the branches. Those who are his branches, those who are alive in him necessarily and certainly bear this fruit. Now, in terms of farming or vineyard production, fruitfulness is in part about multiplication. You reap your crop and some of it is used, but also some of it needs to go into the ground to plant the next round. One sure marker of those who are in Christ, those who are attached to their source of life, is they want to see more branches. They want to see more fruits. They want to see more people being attached to the source of life. Now, ultimately, as I said earlier, we can't control directly the outcome. It is in God's hands, but we desire to be instruments in his hands towards the end of evangelism. But the fruit is not only multiplication, it is fruitfulness in our own lives and that we more and more put sin to death and obey God's commands because the Holy Spirit dwelling in us empowers us to do so. It is a work of God in us. Again, branches can't do anything if they're detached from their vine. I bought some grapes at the grocery store last week. They were on sale, and when you buy grapes in the store, they're still attached to part of the branch they grew on. Well, as often happens, when I buy fresh fruit, I didn't eat it fast enough, and some of it went bad. The grapes, they turned brown and nasty. And the branch went from being green and flexible, as they are when they're picked, to being brown and dry and brittle. The branch was severed from its source of life. It died, had no life left in it. God's people grow and they bear fruit. But they don't do it on their own initiative. The end of verse 5 makes it explicitly clear. Without me, you can do nothing. While you are fruitful and bear good works, it is because of God's sanctifying work in you. It is nothing good in you, nothing you can take credit for. As I said before, farmers don't actually cause vines and plants to grow. They can provide all the necessary conditions and resources the best they can. But they can't start multiplying the cells inside the plants to make them operate the way they're supposed to. Only God does that. Then in verse 6, we see more explicitly a distinction being made between branches. Some branches bear fruits. Those branches abide and remain and are kept on the tree, but some don't. Now, great plants and fruit trees and things of the sort, they are living things and they only have a certain amount of resources and nutrients and water and such at their disposal to live and grow. Now, a vine dresser would want to get as much crop, as much productivity out of his vines as he would be able to do. But some of the branches of grapevines or fruit trees or the sort, they don't bear fruit. And that's a problem because the plant is expending its limited resources to make those branches grow, but they aren't contributing, they aren't helping. So it is better for the vine dresser to cut off those branches that don't bear fruit to free up more of the plant's ability to nourish and grow the branches that do. 
Jesus introduced this back in verse 2 when he talked about those branches that don't bear fruit. And those that even, even those that do, they are pruned. The unproductive parts of the good branches are taken away to better provide for the productive parts. Commentator William Hendrickson puts it this way. He says these fruits are good motives, desires, attitudes, dispositions, spiritual virtues, words, deeds, all springing from faith in harmony with God's law and done to his glory. Those who bear good fruit are cleansed more and more. Having been justified, they now receive the grace of daily renewal. Until finally, the last stage is the most incisive of all, completely sanctified, they reach the shores of heaven. The purpose of this daily cleansing in the life of God's child is to make him ever more fruitful. The one who has brought forth 30 can probably bring forth 60 or even 100-fold. Now again, this is not describing a scheme of salvation by works. If you sincerely believe in Christ and desire to be His, this isn't meant to scare you because you don't think you're bearing enough fruit. That faith and the desire to bear fruit is fruit in itself. Even as we continue to struggle against sin in the flesh and the devil in this life. But also Christ works over time and, more, and he works more and more fruit in his people. That is our sanctification. Just like branches on a grapevine or a fruit tree are pruned to be more productive, God's people are made more and more productive and fruitful as they abide in Christ. They grow, they learn, they improve, not because they are that good on their own, but because their Father wills it and does the work in them by his appointed means. Now, this process may come with difficulty. Pruning, from the perspective of a branch, isn't that pleasant. Part of you is removed. Part of you is cut off. Sometimes God's work of sanctification in us comes through trial, through difficulty, through loss. Sometimes we grow by losing, by failing, by suffering. Sometimes those false things we hope in and depend upon must be taken away from us so that we may more clearly and fully depend on Christ for our life and living. And it is difficulty that causes us more and more to do what is pleasing to him and glorifying to him and to bear fruit in our lives and among others. But then there are those branches which are cut off. We see this in more detail in verse 6. There are branches that do not abide in Christ. They might have the appearance of life, of being alive. Again, they grow up even green for a time. They might produce leaves. They will not produce fruit because ultimately there is no life in them, and ultimately they will be cut off. This again shows God's sovereignty and salvation. He is the one who keeps branches on and cuts others off. He and he alone knows infallibly the distinction between the visible and the invisible church. He preserves his people. Now this is also somewhat a warning against apostasy, as we should examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. We talked about this when we took the Lord's Supper last week. This is also a warning 
to those in the church that there will be those who appear to be of the church for a time, but fall away. Verse 7, though, responds to the difficult reality of branches being cut off with a comforting word to those branches that truly belong. If you abide with me, and my words abide in you, so if you belong to Christ, if the Holy Spirit has applied his redemption to you, such that you are grafted into the source of life, and the truth of the gospel has been shown to you, if this is true of you, then Jesus says, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Now we've talked about this some before, as Jesus has used similar language in other places. This is not a blank check to give us whatever worldly desires we want. If you ask for a billion dollars, you might get it, but you probably won't. Because that's not the point. That's not what this is talking about. We get what we ask that is in accord with God's will. For as we are joined to our vine, our will is more and more conformed to his. Calvin puts it well. He says, but here he limits the wishes of his people to the rule of praying in a right manner. And that rule subjects to the good pleasure of God all our affections. This is confirmed by the connection in which the words stand, for he means that his people will or desire not riches or honors or anything of that nature which the flesh foolishly desires, but the vital sap of the Holy Spirit, which enables them to bear fruit. So what you're asking for in this case is spiritual blessings. You're asking for more of God's help, more of God's truth to be shown to you, more of the ability to do what is pleasing to him. And in verse 8, we see the ultimate purpose of all of this. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. God works this life and fruitfulness in his people, not for their glory, but ultimately for his own. This is a pillar of our Reformed doctrine. It's the first question and answer of our catechisms. The first thing they teach you when you get here. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But how is God most glorified? Well, he is most glorified by the redemption of his people out of sin and misery so that they might love him and serve him and obey him and praise him. He is glorified in bearing fruit on the branches of his vine. That is how God makes his disciples and how he is glorified through it. But there is one last step to this. After the pruning and productivity, we come to preservation in verses 9 through 11. In verse 9, Jesus tells us something about the love that he has for his disciples. It is the same sort of love his father has for him. What does that mean? Well, the love between the Father and the Son is a perfect and inseparable love. What does this tell you about Jesus' love for his people? Well, it too is perfect and inseparable. This should give great comfort to Christ's people in this world. There's a lot of talk about fruitfulness in this text, and by all means, we need to be aware for fruitfulness and examining fruitfulness and striving for greater fruitfulness. 
But we must recognize that ultimately this life does not come from ourselves. Remember verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that is true of our preservation. We are not kept in this life of ourselves. The source of this life and love is Christ's own perfect divine love. It's not like human love that can falter and fail and wane and betray and break. So we're told to abide in Christ's love and remain in it. What does this mean? Is this a demand to do something that makes this love conditional? No, it's perfect, unfailing love. I think Calvin puts it best. He says, Jesus means that we should continually enjoy that love with which he once loved us, and therefore that we ought to take care not to deprive ourselves of it. For many reject the grace which is offered to them, and many throw away what they once had in their hands. In other words, knowing the kind of love with which Jesus has loved us, we remain in his love. We know that we are loved by him, and so we seek to be near him, near his people, partaking of his means of grace, his word, the sacraments, and prayer, also seeking to do good to others and to see others brought to this love. It's the joyful obedience that comes from one who knows that he or she is loved with a perfect, unfailing love. Love like that produces more love, not begrudging legalistic compliance. We are loved, and so we want to love Jesus back and love others as he has called us to do. This is where verse 10 comes in. Jesus loves us with the same love he has with the Father, and that includes the keeping of the Father's commands. In the economy of redemption, it was given to the Son to keep the law in the place of fallen sinful man. He fulfilled that work perfectly. Now, we will never do it perfectly in this life, but as Christ loves us, and as he kept the law perfectly for us, he's, we are sanctified so that we keep the law more and more in this life. We more and more strive to keep God's commands. We'll see next time more of what this love that is commanded and granted to God's people looks like. But suffice to say for now, we are called to this love and service. And in verse 11, Jesus closes this section with a declaration of joy. Jesus has not told these things to his people so that they might be burdened and fret over the difficulty with which they come to repentance and faith and everlasting life. Jesus wants them to be joyful because he has done it. The Father has decreed redemption, the Son has accomplished redemption, and the Spirit applies redemption to the fallen sinful sons of Adam who are chosen from salvation. It's not in us. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. But we're joyful because we know that we are clean. We are justified in Christ. More and more we are being sanctified Though we face the difficulties of pruning, we are being made to produce more fruit, to love and serve God and man better in this life. And in this is our joy. And in it we should find our joy no matter what this life brings. 
So the most fundamental question of this text tonight is this. Are you a branch on Christ's vine? Do you believe in him? Do you trust in him for your salvation and righteousness and life? Christ died to save sinners. If you are trusting in yourself or in someone else to save you, you are severed from your source of life and you will only wither and fade and die. The gospel is proclaimed to you this evening, and perhaps the Spirit has illuminated your mind and heart to receive it. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Come to him, abide in him, and live. If you are in Christ, perhaps tonight you are weak, doubting. Maybe your love has grown cold. Remember the great and perfect and divine and unconditional love with which Christ has loved you. Be encouraged that you depend not upon yourself for what you need to bear fruit, but your vine dresser will make you fruitful. Take confidence in that and trust in God and obey and serve him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us. We thank you for our source of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. And I pray that more and more we would be united to him, we would be sanctified in him. I pray that we would even be instruments in your hands to bring about more growth and more uh, more fruits in evangelism, and also in our own lives and in our living, that we would more and more desire to do what is pleasing in your eyes. And Father, we um, pray that as we go, we would put these words into practice, but always remembering that apart from you and apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.